Hello, listeners. As an enhancement to your listening experience, I am now going to present these archive episodes unedited in their entirety, which includes all of my afterthoughts. So, continue listening after the outro music if you want to hear what I thought of the episode. And if you are enjoying the podcast, please support it by going to the homepage spacerockethistory.com and clicking on the orange donate button or the Patreon link. Thanks. This is Michael Annis, and you're listening to episode 191 of the Space Rocket History Podcast. And now, Apollo 10, The Climb into Orbit. Continuing from episode 190, you just heard the launch and the clearing of the tower of Apollo 10. Now Houston assumed control of the flight. Here's Paul Haney describing the climb into orbit. You'll also hear Charlie Duke at Mission Control and Stafford and Cernan on Apollo 10. Tom Stafford acknowledges the role and pitch program to put Apollo 10 on the proper course. Okay, pitch is tracking, looking good. Roger. Roll complete, ELS ready. Roger, roll. Houston Mark, mode 1 Bravo. Uh, Roger, 1 Bravo. 1 Bravo is a, an abort mode uh, dealing with altitude, function of altitude. I want to pause here for a minute and explain abort mode 1 Alpha. During the initial 42 seconds up to an altitude of 10,000 feet, the vehicle is flown in abort mode 1 Alpha. This means if an abort situation occurs within this time period, the command module would rapidly separate from the service module using the launch escape tower, which is the solid-fueled rocket mounted on top of the command module. The launch escape tower would carry it up from the malfunctioning launch vehicle. A small pitch control motor at the top of the launch escape tower would pitch the command module east out over the Atlantic Ocean and away from the booster below which would likely be breaking up or possibly exploding. The tower stays attached for 14 seconds after the initiation of the abort. The highly dangerous hypergolic propellants of the command module's reaction control system would quickly and automatically be dumped overboard as they would be harmful to the recovery forces. The command module would then follow a standard descent on parachutes to a normal splashdown. Now I also want to mention the abort mode 1 Bravo. 
which starts at t plus 42 seconds into the flight all the way to 16 and a half nautical miles of altitude. With the space vehicle now being further downrange and tilted over, the pitch control motor on the launch escape tower would not be required in the event of a one Bravo abort. A pair of canards would be deployed automatically to force the launch escape tower command module combination into an attitude where the base of the command module is now facing the direction of travel ready for the safe deployment of the drogue and main chutes. While the canards would have little effect in the low altitude abort, they become increasingly important as the Saturn V gains speed through the one Bravo abort mode period. Now, back to the climb. Cabin pressure is relieving. Downrange one mile, 3.3 nautical miles high. Gene Stadder, Gene uh, Cernan reporting water ride. One minute forty four seconds downrange, seven miles, twelve miles high. Roger, copy, Tom. Stand mark, mode one, Charlie. You're looking great. We just passed into the abort mode one, Charlie. Mode one, Charlie is used for aborts occurring between 16 and a half nautical miles and the jettisoning of the tower. As the air is now very thin, the airflow over the pair of canards at the top of the tower have little aerodynamic effect during an abort. So, the command module reaction control system rockets would be used to control the orientation of the spacecraft until the canards became effective. Thankfully, none of the aborts were needed. Let's continue. Your go for staking, Ken. Inboard engines are out. Right, copy, Tom. EDS off, Ken. Charlie Duke asking the crew to turn off their emergency, de emergency detection system. Roger. That was first stage cutoff. At this point, the astronauts expected to encounter a single pulse of negative G as the first stage cut off, and the crew would be thrown forward in their straps before the second stage ignited and recommenced the acceleration. However, they actually got a form of pogo, which continued for four cycles, during which time they were slammed forward, back, forward, back, forward, back, and forward back. At this
point, the instrument panel was so blurred the astronauts could not read it. Good ignition on the second stage. Flight Dynamics reports trajectory go at 3 minutes 9 seconds, downrange 81 miles, 46 miles high. Second plane separation, that's the skirt around the engines on the second stage. And the launch escape tower has jettisoned. The skirt that Paul Haney just mentioned provides clearance above the first stage liquid oxygen tank and the five J2 engines of the second stage. The staging between the first and second stage is called dual plane separation. As the vehicle is cut across two geometrical planes, the first plane is between the bottom of the skirt and the first stage. Keep in mind, the second stage engines start 1.5 seconds after the first stage separation while the skirt is still attached to the second stage. The second plane separation occurs when the second stage jettisons the skirt, which occurs 30 seconds after the first stage separation. This delay allowed the second stage attitude to stabilize because if either part of the launch vehicle were to yaw or pitch excessively there would be a danger of the engine bells striking the stage skirt. You also heard that the escape tower was jettisoned. Here's a little more information on that. The launch escape system consists of the tower with all its rocket motors, instrumentation and canards, and the boost protective cover, which is a shroud over the entire command module. The boost protective cover protects the spacecraft from the heat generated by the friction of ascent and from the exhaust of the launch escape motor should the tower be used for an actual abort. During the jettisoning procedure, the single small solid propellant motor near the top of the tower fired for one second, jettisoning the entire launch escape system. After the flight, John Young reported a problem just before the tower jettisoned. He saw aerodynamic heating smoke coming across the hatch window and also the right-hand window underneath the boost protective cover before it was jettisoned. To Young, there was no question about it. Smoke was coming between the window and the boost protective cover, and it was aerodynamic heating. There was one other anomaly. Charlie Duke reported that the Stage 2 was looking beautiful, but that was from the perspective of Houston. From the astronaut's perspective, the S2 second stage had the same pogo tendencies as the first stage. The astronauts wondered if the vehicles would hold together, especially the lunar module below them. Man, that staging was quite a sequence. <laughs> right, sounded like it. And we have guidance initiate. We confirm that, Ken. Uh, Roger. Yes, this is looking beautiful, Tom. Everything's copacetic. Uh, Roger. Yeah. That's Charlie Duke talking to Tom Stafford. 
just heard Stafford say that he had guidance initiate. Until now, the instrument unit was steering the vehicle according to a predetermined trajectory which minimized sideways movements through the air while tilting it along its flight azimuth. The instrument unit was not using any information about its position and velocity to alter its flight path. Guidance initiate marks the point where the instrument unit begins the interactive guidance mode. The instrument unit now began using position and velocity data to help it guide the vehicle to where it wanted to get to, an accurate Earth orbit. After the flight, Gene Cernan reported that he saw the pitch guidance change several times where the horizon went on the bottom of his window and went to the top of his window three times as the instrument unit zeroed in on its course. It's a year ago, trajectory and guidance look good. All right, Roger, we look right on the line on board. 171 miles downrange, 67 miles high at 4 minutes 15 seconds. Still go. Glenn Lenny taking a status check. Everyone says go. Four minutes, 50 seconds, 230 miles downrange, 76 miles high. Ten Houston at five minutes. You're all go. All your systems are looking great. Hey, Roger, five minutes. Ten is go. All right, you're right on the track. Hey, Roger, Charlie. We have an estimate of uh, inboard engine cutoff in the second stage at 8 minutes 15 seconds. Outboard engine cutoff 9 minutes 11 seconds. Five minutes 30 seconds, 299 miles downrange, 83 miles high. All controllers reporting go. 350 miles downrange, 87 miles high now. First turn over straight on, pitch it up. That's gone. Drive on, that's gone. Pitch through, that's gone. You got to, you got them all, Tom. Pitch through. You just heard the Yaw 1 Pitch 2, Yaw 2 procedure. With the escape tower gone, the service module main engine would be used if an abort was necessary. Now, the crew had to perform a short procedure to prepare the service module if an abort was required. First, the service module gimbal motors were powered up to provide the service module main engine control if needed in an abort. Second, the crew turned each of the four service module gimbal motors on in the order Pitch 1, Yaw 1, Pitch 2, Yaw 2. Step 3. The crew moved the switch on panel 1 so that the gimbal position indicator would display the service module gimbals. 
You see, the gimbal position indicator was a dual usage gauge. Up until now, it had been monitoring the Saturn V propellant tank pressures. The crew changed it so they could monitor the surface module gimbals. All of this was in preparation for a possible abort. Guidance says it's looking real good at 6 minutes 23 seconds. Nah, I think Snoopy's still there with you. Uh, you're looking good. We, can, you, we copy your gimbal motors on and your trim looks good. Just beautiful. Dan Houston Mark, S4B to orbit capability. Apollo 10 now has the capability to get into orbit on the S4B should the second stage uh, malfunction. On seven minutes, you're all go. We have nominal uh, level sense arm 8 plus 15, S2 cutoff 9 plus 11. You just heard Charlie Duke say that we have nominal level sense arm. One of the procedures devised to ensure the maximum amount of second stage propellant was consumed prior to the outboard engine cutoff was to use five sensors in each tank to detect when the propellant was nearing depletion. Engine shutdown was initiated when at least two of these sensors had detected propellant depletion to ensure that these sensors did not command a premature engine shutdown they were not armed until another independent propellant gauging system had indicated that the tanks were getting close to depletion next you're going to hear that the inboard j2 engine of the second stage has shut down this was done to minimize its tendency to induce low frequency pogo oscillations. 7 minutes 14 seconds, downrange now 538 miles and 94 and a half nautical miles high. Coming up on inboard engine cutoff. 732 is good. Right, looking good here. Inboard shutdown. Right on the inboard, Tom. We confirm it. How's the ride? Ken Houston, eight minutes. Uh, you're looking good. How's the ride? Yes, you're fantastic, Joe. Fantastic. Right. Ken Houston, Mark, a level sense arm. A level sense arm. We're right down the ground track at eight minutes, 30 seconds. 755 miles downrange, 98 miles high. Velocity is 21,499 feet per second. Flight director taking a status for staging now. you're go for staging. Mark mode four, Apollo 10, mode four. The second stage shutdown was at T plus nine minutes, 12 seconds and the third stage, S-4Bs, started one second later. You heard Charlie Duke tell the crew that they had reached abort mode 4. This meant that the crew was given a go decision to continue to orbit using the S-4B, and should that stage deviate from its allowed limits, the command service module would separate from the S-4B, and the service module's engines would be used to continue into Earth orbit. 
4B stage cut off at T plus 11 minutes 43 seconds. Apollo 10 had reached parking orbit insertion. At the point of engine cutoff, the computer was displaying their inertial speed, their rate of vertical ascent, and their altitude. They were traveling at 7,792 meters per second, ignoring the rotation of the Earth. They were descending at about 30 centimeters per second, which was essentially flying parallel to the ground, and their altitude was 190 kilometers, which meant that they were inserted into orbit at their apogee. Salutations and Happy New Year from the foothills of North Carolina. This is Michael Annis, your host, and I wanted to say thanks for listening to episode 191 of the Space Rocket History Podcast, entitled Apollo 10, The Climb to Orbit. I want to give a big shout out to all my longtime listeners. Thanks for staying subscribed and extend a warm welcome to my new listeners. I'm glad you're here. Make sure you sign up for the email list and connect with me on Twitter and Facebook. You can do all that on the homepage, spacerockethistory.com. <laughs> 
Today, we salute my Patreon donors. Patreon donors give a small amount monthly to support the podcast. Thank you so much, Patreon donors, for honoring your pledge for this month. Well, folks, I am stoked to go to the moon for a second time. I hope you're excited, too. We're not going to land, but we're going to get a lot closer than Apollo 8 did. I really love this episode. The launch and the climb into orbit is an exciting and dangerous phase of the flight. There were so many things that could have gone wrong, but NASA seemed to have a contingency for just about all of them, you know? I hope you could hear all those clips. Sometimes Paul Haney is interrupted by Capcom and the flight crew, (laughs) but he just kind of just keeps on going anyway. But it was a little jumbled there, but that's why that's why you hear two voices, because there's two tracks on there. It's the uh, Capcom flight crew on one and Paul Haney on the other. I ended this episode on a significant point just after they achieved orbit. There were a few things that the crew had to handle during the Earth orbit period of time, and just right after they reached orbit, they uh, encountered a problem, and they told Houston... And I do have that clip here as a bonus clip. And Charlie, have them uh, take a look at our uh, evaporator. We're in the high outlet temperature and uh, we're off scale low on the steam pressure right now. Roger, we agree. Stand by. The primary evaporator in the environmental control system began operations soon after liftoff, but it dried out after only a few minutes. The secondary cooling system was then activated and functioned nominally. The primary evaporator was deactivated and was not reserviced with water until just prior to lunar orbit insertion. Then it dried out again. Just prior to entry, the evaporator was serviced again, and during entry, it functioned normally. The evaporator had also dried out, during the altitude chamber test at uh, Kennedy, and the cause was not determined. During later tests, the evaporator functioned satisfactorily. After the mission, further tests on the system duplicated the in-flight conditions and revealed that the water control circuit opened intermittently. It opened by use of a small actuator activating a micro-switch and it turned out that the actuator wasn't making its full stroke, and that's why it wasn't getting activated only intermittently. intermittently. Those type of problems are very hard to find. But they did eventually figure it out, and as a result, the actuator rigging procedures were modified to assure proper over-travel on all subsequent missions. Okay, just a little tidbit. It was not a big deal there, so I didn't put it in the episode, but just a little tidbit of things going on there right after they reached orbit. Okay, now I've posted some pictures and the audio for this episode on the webpage, spacerockethistory.com. I hope you check that out. Now we have our donations. Are you wondering if we reached our goal of 250? Well, we did get a big flurry of donations at the end, and I'll read them out and then I'll tell you how we did. Christopher L. from Maryland donated at the Mercury level. Life C. from Germany donated at the Vostok level and earned his rocket emoji. 
Joe G. from Texas donated at the Mercury level. Steve N. from Australia donated at the Mercury level. Tony L. from the UK donated at the Mercury level. Wolfgang S. from Bavaria donated at the Apollo level. Vazo J. from Croatia donated at the shuttle level. Terry C. donated at the Mercury level. Noah A. from Ohio donated at the Vostok level and earned his rocket emoji. Tom L. from the UK donated at the Vostok level. Matt M. donated at the Apollo level. Christina C. from Puerto Rico donated at the Sputnik level. Mark Lewis donated at the Mercury level and earned his moon emoji and the new emoji that I have not unveiled yet. (laughs) PJ Ward pledged on the uh, Patreon at Apollo level and Eric B. pledged at the Mercury level. Those were the donations for 2016, the last donations for 2016. Our goal for 2016 was 250 donors, and we reached 231. That was just 19 short of the goal, and I thought that was pretty good. Now, speaking to you from my heart, the donors are the life's blood of this podcast, and I want to say how much I appreciate them and their financial support. Without the donors... The podcast could not go on. So, from the bottom of my heart, I want to thank all 231 of you who supported the podcast financially in 2016. Thank you very much. Now, everyone on Patreon who honored their pledge this month was automatically promoted and added to the 2017 donors list. There were over 80 Patreons that did that. So, I'm going to read your name on the next episode. Now, the reason I want to wait until the next episode is I want to make sure everyone's at the correct level and rank. So, if you are a Patreon donor, please, please, please go to the donors page. Look for your name where it should be. Make sure that you got your promotion, that you're the right level and everything. And if it is, no need to do anything. If it is not, just send me an email and we will get it fixed. No problem. Email me at mike at spacerockethistory.com. And now, for the moment you've been waiting for. (laughs) The new emoji for donors who have supported the podcast four years in a row is the highly sought-after satellite. Yes, I said satellite. Mrs. Space Rocket History and I looked at all the emojis available on WordPress. I was kind of first looking for a planet or something, but then uh, they didn't really have a, a planet other than Earth. So we narrowed the selection down on what they had, and finally, together, we chose the satellite. We also talked about what the goal should be for next year's number of donors, And I believe that the podcast will continue to grow in 2017, and it grew a bunch in 2016. So I thought it would be bold to make a goal of 300 donors for 2017. And what is perhaps even more bold is to make 
a goal of 150 Patreon donors. Now, we're already 85 of 150 right now. But I don't mind telling you that the Patreon goal makes me nervous. I remember how long it took to reach 50 Patreons. So that one, I'm a little concerned with. (laughs) But as President Kennedy said in his famous speech, we must be bold. So I'm being bold. Okay, now that the emoji is settled, I would like to honor the five new donors for 2017. Mark L. donated at the Mercury level and earned his satellite emoji. Kenneth A. donated at the Salyut Skylab level and earned his satellite emoji. Marco M. donated at the Skylab Salyut level and earned his satellite emoji. Robert M. pledged on Patreon at the Gemini level. Charles B. pledged on Patreon at the Soyuz level. Thank you, new donors. I certainly do appreciate that. That brings the Patreon total to 85, and the overall total for 2017 is at 88, with a goal of reaching 300. To make a one-time donation, you can go to the homepage, spacerockethistory.com, and click on the orange donate button, or... You can sign up with Patreon by clicking on the Patreon link. I was pleased to see the podcast receive a new 5-star rating on iTunes over the past couple of weeks. This was an anonymous rating, so I want to thank whoever did that. Thank you so much for taking the time to go to iTunes and giving the podcast the all-important 5-star ratings. I want to encourage everyone to share the podcast. Feel free to link the homepage or a particular episode on all social media, and thanks to those who have already done so, like my retweeters. This is the end of content for this episode. You're welcome to stay and listen to my off-topic thoughts if you want. Thanks for sticking around, folks. I hope you enjoy that episode. Next week, we will do the translunar injection and maybe the first docking. In podcast news, we had another fantastic month in December, usually December falls off because of the holidays, but we really had a good month. It was the second highest ever for downloads. In December, the podcast was heard in 94 countries around the world. These are the top 10 countries with the most episode downloads for December. Number 1, U.S. Number 2, Germany. Number 3, U.K. Number 4, Australia. Number 5, Canada. Number 6, New Zealand moves up. Number 7, France stays at 7, Sweden stays at 8, Denmark stays at 9, and Brazil moves up to 10. Next week I will give you the statistics for the entire year of 2016. Also, since you stuck around, I'm going to let you know that we are approaching a major milestone for the podcast. I don't want to say what it is until we reach it. But it should happen in January, and it is a big deal. At least to me, it's a big deal. Okay, in personal news, I'm hoping and planning to go see a launch at the Cape this year. Both SpaceX and ULA have launches scheduled in March. So, I want to be there if at all possible. 
And besides, I have my very cheap camping club that I joined, Thousand Trails, so it doesn't really cost very much to camp there. So if I can afford it, and if I'm healthy enough, then uh, keep your fingers crossed and I'll get to see a SpaceX launch this year. And you can live vicariously through me, because <laughs> I will describe it to you. Okay, that's about all the time I have for this week. I'll try to get to episode 192 up by next Thursday. So long for now.